0: Welcome to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers Podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we want 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to be your favorite place to go to enjoy a great mix of vintage detective shows from the golden age of radio. The scripts were great, the action was hot, and even the old commercials are enjoyable. And now, another episode of 1001 Radio Crime Solvers is ready to go. Enjoy!
1: William Gargan stars as Barry Craig. Confidential Investigator.
2: The old saying, early to rise, folks, can't possibly mean a thing to a corpse.
1: Your Pontiac Dealer presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator.
2: Barry Craig speaking. The trick in continuing on as a confidential investigator is to keep on good terms with the police. Comes time for your license renewal, and a department sawhead can louse it up for you. Play footsie with a corpse, conceal evidence, rack up as many black marks as you must, but be sure you've got a friend somewhere in the higher echelons. I say like a lieutenant willing to countersign your renewal application, where it reads character references. Ah, the fool that I am, Craig, endorsing your application. Your signature goes down here, Trav. No blotting now. Right neat. Certifying you as a man of good
3: character. However will I atone for the perjury?
2: The guilt get too much for you. I can refer you to a high bridge. Okay, I've signed. You're free to harass and otherwise misuse and abuse me for 12 more months. I'm looking forward to it, chum. I'd start in right away if I had a case. Oh, don't tell me the great man's idle. One meal away from pouring my badge. Unless you've got an idea. I get the hint. Even if I could, why should I throw
4: anything your way? Because
2: you hate seeing me fall dead from hunger. So, what case did you have in mind? Two cases.
3: You even have a choice. Hmm. Both of them prefer a confidential operative to official police methods, official notoriety. I was asked to recommend someone. I'm all ears. Case one A Mrs. Cora Talbot wants
2: help in finding her husband, Stanley Talbot. Talbot's been missing more than six years. What's her motive in looking for him now? Oh, last-ditch search. She's about lost hope that he'll ever return. She wants to petition to have him declared legally dead so she can remarry. Interesting? How big a fee? $20 a day in expenses. Kind of anemic. It's all the lady can afford. Is it no? What's my alternative?
3: A publisher named Hillary Grayson. He ran a Best First Novel contest. $50,000 to the winner. And? The prize-winning manuscript
2: was stolen, very mysteriously. What's it worth to Grayson to get the manuscript back? A flat $2,000. So, which of the two has you seething with a desire to see justice done? Well, I don't want to be mercenary. Ah, then you'll accept Mrs. Cora Talbot. I'll call and tell her. Call and tell publisher Grayson. It's not on account of the higher tab, the... Fact is, I've been a long time wanting to raise my cultural level. The publisher, Grayson, had more body than any one guy needed. Three sets of jowls and thick eyeglasses. Looking into his eyes was like watching fish in an aquarium bowl.
4: Get that manuscript back, Mr. Craig. Spare no effort or expense. If the manuscript isn't recovered, I'll be the jackass of the publishing world. I... I... Hold on a minute,
2: Grayson. You're forgetting I don't know what it's all about. I just got here.
4: Yes. I suppose I should give you the facts. It would be helpful. The prize-winning book manuscript, The Cry of the Hyena, by Eric Trent, was stolen right out of my office. That's bad? Catastrophic. It was the only copy in existence. The author has no carbon duplicate. How come? Writers usually make copies. Usual writers usually do. But this is no usual writer. This is Eric Trent. Here's his photograph.
2: Hmm. I get what you mean by this one not being usual. Does he always wear chin whiskers?
4: Yes. Trent's a brilliant eccentric. A man who's roamed every corner of the world. A wanderer who wrote one page here, another page there. Six years in the writing and more than a thousand pages.
2: And no carbon. First prize was $50,000? Yes. Were there other awards?
4: One other. $5,000 $5,000 a second prize. One by? Oscar Sachs for his novel, Four Devils and the Midget. Oh, this is a photograph of Oscar Sachs.
2: Well, this one's clean shaven. Uh, can I talk out of turn or are you the sensitive type?
4: Ask me whatever you like.
2: $55,000 in prize money. Isn't that a lot of cabbage for a... For For a a,
4: small publisher?
2: Your offices haven't exactly got that mahogany and chromium look.
4: The prize money doesn't really come from me.
2: It doesn't? An
4: independent motion picture company, Pyramid Pictures. They pay the prizes in exchange for world rights to film the book. Any more questions?
2: Yes. How many offices are there in this suite?
4: Six. Why do you ask that?
2: I'm already in there pitching for you. That intercommunications box on your desk... Is every office equipped with one?
4: Yes, of course, but I don't... The box
2: is switched on, as you'll notice. It's been on through this whole talk we've just had. Who in the Grayson Publishing House would be interested in uh, uh, long-range eavesdropping? I don't know. suppose I find out. But I didn't find out. The eavesdropper resented my curiosity with all his might. and inkwell pitched at me.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, have you driven a great new 1952 Pontiac? Until you do, you cannot possibly appreciate what Pontiac's dual-range performance really means. Only with your own hands on the wheel, your own foot on the accelerator of a Pontiac, can you know what it means to select with a flick of a finger exactly the power you want. Tremendous get up and go in traffic, or smooth, easy-going, gas-saving cruising on the open road. The great new Pontiac gives you this kind of performance because Pontiac has, for the first time, combined the three essentials of top-flight performance in one great car. First, a terrific high-compression Pontiac engine. Second, the wonderful new General Motors dual-range hydromatic drive. Third, Pontiac's new high-performance economy axle. It's this great powertrain which makes dual-range performance giving you exactly the power you want, when you want it, where you want it. Remember, only the new Pontiac has dual-range performance. Only your Pontiac dealer can show you this engineering masterpiece. Before you consider any new car, be sure you visit your nearest Pontiac dealer. See the new Pontiac. Drive it yourself. You won't be very many miles down the road before you heartily agree that dollar for dollar... You can't beat a Pontiac. And now back to Barry Craig.
2: On Grayson, sprinkling water on me with a sponge. You're all right. Quit watering me. I'm not a petunia, Bed.
4: But you were unconscious.
2: I'm conscious now, and you're ruining my suit.
4: It's ruined anyhow, the ink from the inkwell.
2: Don't tell me. Red ink, yet. My fee's gone up, Grayson. Up? Two thousand plus forty-nine seventy five, the price of this suit. <laughs> A while later, on the street outside the Grayson offices, a motorist tutored me over. A long hair driving a sky-blue pink jalopy. I let him pick me up. You paging me, friend?
5: Yes, I- I'd like to talk to you. What about? Uh, if you'll get in, we can go somewhere. I'll buy you a drink. Oh, buttermilk. There's a buttermilk bar over on Eighth Avenue. <laughs>
2: buttermilk bar. We had a chat for the books. I'm Oscar Sachs. I know that. I saw the photograph of you in the Grayson Publishing offices.
5: Oh. Well, there's some facts about the book contest I think you should know. Why? Why? You, you've been engaged by Mr. Grayson to locate Trent's missing manuscript. What am I wearing? A sandwich sign? I, I obtained the information through sources I cannot disclose. Give me those facts. I won the second prize of $5,000, but I was cheated. Cheated out of the big money, is it? Yes. Explain, please. The contest rules clearly specified that the award was to be made only to an American author. And? I have reason to believe Eric Trent is an Englishman. Or anyhow, other than an American. Uh, To put it bluntly, a fake who should be disqualified. Disqualified while you're moved up to first place and $50,000? Yes. Let's have your bill of particulars. Well, for one thing, Trent's way of talk. It's as English as the House of Parliament. Uh, Another thing, Trent was somewhere overseas on a tramp island in English possession when he sent the manuscript in. That summarizes it? Well, there's more. Trent has a tattoo on his right arm. I happened to get a good look at it. It's a tattoo of the British flag. Would an American wear the British flag on his arm? They tell me, Benedict Arnold, it...
2: You're really ought to grab yourself 50 Gs. Well, why do you find that so odd, Craig? Just that I thought artists had no money sent.
5: Well, I have, and I'm not apologizing for it.
2: Okay, I've got your point of view, Oscar. Oh, yes, one little thing remains. Hold out your hands.
5: Uh, hold out Do my... what
2: Papa asks. Red ink smudges on your right thumb. You've been playing with inkwells, Sonny. Oh, well, Craig, I didn't mean... Uh-uh, don't apologize. Fun's fun. And I like to play myself. My interest runs to sugar balls.
0: Oh, Craig, no! Oh! oh. <laughs>
2: Eric Trent's address, furnished me by Grayson, was a rickety studio walk up. Seventh Heaven in Bohemia, Greenwich Village. The door opened on a blonde who eyed you as if she was already counting your money. Hiya. Hello. This is 6D, isn't it?
6: That's what it says on the door.
2: It's my astigmatism. Is Eric Trent in?
6: No, but I am.
2: Baby, I'm not a gentleman caller.
6: So who's tough luck, would you call it? Come in. Trent said for you to wait if you simply had to see him.
2: Trent expected me?
6: Yeah. That Mr. Grayson, the publisher, he phoned and said you might be over. You're Barry Craig the detective, he said.
2: A Barry Craig, confidential investigator.
6: I'm Judy. Judy Joy. Well, come on in. I won't bite you.
2: I was waiting for you to make that promise.
6: I live right next door in 6E. I come in here to play the radio. Mine's out of order.
7: Oh.
6: That's Bummy Fiegel's orchestra you're hearing. Oh. It's on every day this hour.
7: hmm
6: I get simply dilapidated if I miss hearing Bummy.
2: I come again? Did you say dilapidated?
6: Yeah. Dilapidated like frazzled. You know, fractured. Or were you correcting me on the word? Oh, no, no. Eric's always correcting me on the words. Imagine me keeping company with a real live author type.
2: Sure, I can. I can even imagine 50,000 reasons.
6: Huh? What'd you say? Oh, there's Eric now. Eric? Ah, Judy. On the sofa's Barry Craig, the investigator. I've been keeping him here for you.
3: Thank you, Judy. Now, if you'll leave us alone?
6: Sure. I've got a slip to press, anyhow. Nice meeting
2: you, Mr. Craig. I was floored myself.
3: Excuse me while I shut off the musical background. Now, Mr. Craig, the object of this visit?
2: Your stolen brainchild. What else?
3: But what can I do about it? I submitted it in good order. I'm not responsible for its disappearance.
2: How come only one copy? Why didn't you type up a carbon duplicate?
3: I have no patience with purely clerical details. I'm an artist.
2: But the full risk of losing the one copy...
3: I'm a man who takes risks, Craig. In my years abroad, away from America, I've lived a life of risks. Skip the personal buildup. Wherever I went, I traveled lightly. Suit on my back, pipe tobacco and a pencil. It was enough of a nuisance carting one copy of a thousand pages around. And how was I to know my confounded book would ever get to a publisher, much less win a prize?
2: Okay for that. What's your, uh, guess on the missing
3: manuscripts? Grayson. What motive? A stump. Grayson intends exploiting this whole affair for all the publicity he can wring out of it.
2: It's an angle. The 50,000, would you say you, uh, won it legitimately?
3: Legitimately?
2: I mean, uh, what if you were to be disqualified as the first prize winner, say on a technicality?
3: What technicality?
2: Not actually being of American
3: origin, as the contest rules specify. But I am an American. With a British accent? <laughs> I spent years in the islands in Jamaica and British Samaritan. I'm
2: told you have a tattoo of the British flag on your right arm.
3: So? Then well, I sailed the seven seas, and like a sailor, I had myself decorated with tattoos.
2: But the British flag on an American citizen.
3: Ah, wait until I open my shirt. There. Are you looking at the tattoo on my chest, Mr. Craig? Yeah, the American Eagle. What do you know?
2: Expand your chest, genius. Expand by... I want to see old Baldy flap his wings. The first break in the case developed over the phone. I was in my office, soaking my feet. Barry Craig speaking. Craig, this is Grayson. What gives? It's about the stolen manuscript. Listen carefully. Shoot. A hoodlum named Mike Kelsey got in touch with me. He admitted to stealing the manuscript. Why did he? A mistake, he says. He was under the impression that it was valuable. A rare manuscript. (laughs) Believe that.
4: He wants to return it now with no questions asked.
2: How much loot is he after?
4: $1,000.
2: It's paying ransom, compounding a felony.
4: I must have the manuscript back, Craig. I told him to negotiate the transfer through you. You're representing
2: me in the matter. Where's the thousand?
4: I'm sending the money over to you with cash by messenger. You're to meet this, Mike Kelsey, in the tavern, the flying horse.
2: Craig, be discreet. Sure. Sure, I'll be discreet. The cash came by messenger okay, and I got to negotiate in the flying horse tavern. A mug with heavy artillery bulging his coat, waiting at a table for me. You Mike Kelsey? No, I'm, uh,
3: McGuire. I'm here for Mike. Hey, you're negotiating for Grayson, so I'm here negotiating for Mike Kelsey. Now, let's negotiate without any
2: monkey business, Craig. Why a gun under both armpits, Buster?
3: So as I don't develop a stoop on one side. Oh. Now, here's your manuscript. Right in the wrapping Mike Kelsey found it in. Now, count me out a fast grand.
2: Here, $1,000. Count it
3: yourself. It seems okay. Uh, Don't be stupid enough to stop me from leaving. The publisher
2: Grayson was out. Would I please call later, a secretary told me. I'd gone back to my office to cool my heels for a while when the phone rang. Barry Craig speaking. Uh, Craig,
5: this is Oscar Sachs.
2: Now watch your beef.
5: Craig, I've discovered something I think you'll want to know.
2: Something that will promote you into the 50 G's?
5: Something that won't help Barry Trent any. Craig, the man's a fraud.
2: They're playing a cracked record, Junior.
5: Am I? Come hear me out and then tell me that.
2: All right, I'll come hear you out. As soon as I dry my feet and rustle up a change of socks... I didn't get to hear Sachs out. To achieve that, I'd first have to perfect a way of communicating with the dead. I left Oscar Sachs as I found him, sprawled backwards over a writer's desk, a knife standing vertically in his Adam's apple. I left him as is, so Lieutenant Trav Rogers wouldn't howl to heaven and the D.A. that I'd once more tampered with a corpse. Grayson drooled with joy supreme over the recovered manuscript.
4: This is a load off my mind, Craig. A big
2: load. But it sounds nothing. Who stole it and why? And why was Sachs murdered between the time he phoned me and the time I got to his flat? I'll show you the manuscript, Grayson, and then I've got a question. Here. Examine it and then tell me. Is this the same manuscript that was stolen? The same?
4: Why, sure it is. The Cry of the Hyena by Eric Trent.
2: Examine the manuscript, not just the title page. Study a few sample pages.
4: Yeah. It's the same. You'll swear to that? On a stack? No. No, I won't swear. You've detected something? Some changes? Yes. I think yes. For one thing, this copy is cleaner. The edges of the pages aren't so ragged from handling.
2: As you'll remember them to have been.
4: Yes, even the title page looks altered now. I remember a burn here in the upper right corner near the author's name. A burn like from an accidental cigarette I'm
2: action. convinced. This isn't the copy that was stolen.
4: But what can it mean?
2: I aim to find out. Grayson. Yes? Phone Eric Trent. Get him to come here to your office on some pretext. But why? So I can have the run of his studio without Trent being the wiser or being present. Eric Trent had all the accumulated junk of a guy with a passion for changing climates. Souvenirs from Bombay, the Dutch Indies, Labrador. Souvenirs in brass. Carved ivory, porcelain, and in the bottom bureau drawer, a manuscript. The Cry of the Hyena, with a cigarette burn on the title page. Eric Trent had stolen his own manuscript. I had the evidence in hand, but keeping it wasn't going to be so simple. A lady was against it. A lady healed with a gun twice the size of her dainty, lotioned hand. Miss Judy Joy.
6: Yes, Mr. Craig. Miss Judy Joy.
2: Through the, uh, convenient connecting door?
6: I heard noises in here, and I made it just in time to catch a burglar. Drop that manuscript.
2: You charm me into it. Want a word of advice, beautiful? No. I thought you would. Ring off Eric Trent as fast as you can flick your glamorous eyebrows.
6: You're crazy.
2: Being true to Trent's an awful waste of war paint. Now...
6: What are you trying to tell me?
2: That Trent's value on the hoof has just been slashed by about $50,000. He
6: he won't get the money?
2: Neither will you get the money.
6: You're a liar.
2: Dutch uncle. I'd hate to see you dragging your gorgeous chassis up the river Sundays, visiting Ye Arthur in the big house.
6: Pour me a drink.
2: Still making with the gun?
6: Aimed at your head while we wait for Eric. It's stuffed on that coffee table there. The soda bottle's right alongside it.
2: Okay, I'll play bartender. Say so when? When? How much soda?
6: Just a squirt.
2: That's enough. Spot more, huh? Just enough to dampen your spirits?
0: No, but you're blinding me. Had enough? She's no good move down me. We held
2: an all night session, me, Lieutenant Trev Rogers, and Grayson, comparing the two manuscripts page for page. It was early dawn before I found a discrepancy between the two versions. You found something, Craig? Yes, Trev. A Cora has disappeared from the substituted version. Who's Cora Lane? Tell him, Grayson.
4: Cora Lane is a character who appears early in the novel, a woman the hero meets. Falls in love with.
2: She's in version one. She's
4: out of version two.
3: Now, why would the author go to all the trouble he did? Submitting a manuscript and then
5: stealing it back just to write a character out of the book.
2: Because the name Coraline means something. Something he didn't want found out. Means what? Coraline was a character, say, uh, drawn from real life. She's a real name, a real person somewhere. Excuse
4: me, Mr. Craig. They're saying that Trent only realized it when it was almost too late to make the change.
2: One thing's pretty clear to me, Grayson. Eric Trent didn't write the book. Somebody else did. Who would you say
4: did write the book, Craig?
2: The hero of the story, is my guess. Stanley Fields. Only that name is probably an invention, or Eric Trent would have changed it. It figures. The book is an autobiographic work. A man's true personal history disguised as fiction.
3: The personal history of someone Trent stole the manuscript from?
2: Someone now dead, or Trent would never have dared to try for the big prize. Trent? Yes? Arrest Eric Trent. Book him for the murder of Oscar Sachs. You're sure? Sachs tumbled to some of the truth, and Trent shut him up. Trent was also behind the Mike Kelsey red herring. That was a trick to throw dust in our eyes. Arrest Trent, Lieutenant. And when that little chore is over, check police files and directories for a Coral Lane. Go to it, Trav. On this one, I'm making you a gift to the headlines.
1: Ladies and gentlemen... When a great reporter wants to get the inside story of a great new car, he gives it a thorough test run. That's exactly what John Daly did with the new Pontiac. Here he is to tell you some of the outstanding facts of the new 1952 Pontiac and its spectacular dual-range performance. This is John Daly to tell you about a great advancement in automobile performance, the great new 1952 Pontiac with spectacular new dual-range performance. A number of factors contribute to this sensational new kind of driving. Pontiac has combined a powerful high-compression engine, new dual-range hydromatic drive, and high-performance economy axle into an amazing powertrain that gives you tailor-made performance. At the touch of a finger, you can have tremendous acceleration and get up and go for any occasion. With equal ease, you can choose a different type of performance, quiet, economical cruising for the open roads. Drive the new 1952 Pontiac with dual range performance on display at your Pontiac dealer now. It's spectacular new proof that dollar for dollar you can't beat a Pontiac. The great new 1952 Pontiac with dual range performance is on display now at your nearest Pontiac dealer. See it. Drive it as soon as you can. And now back to Barry Craig. <laughs>
2: It took two days for Trav to get back to me. When he did, he had a lady with him. A gray lady with haunted eyes. This is Cora Lane, Craig. Cora Lane, Barry Craig.
3: Mr. Craig.
2: How do you do? How did you
3: find her, Trav? Police files. The name of Cora Lane appeared on an old record card. She reported her husband missing some years back.
6: Stanley, my husband. He left one morning, never returned. I was frightened, I... I imagined him injured, a traffic victim. I didn't know then that my husband had planned to just disappear, that he couldn't live in my world, that he had so much wanderlust.
3: Her husband was the Stanley in the book, the author of
2: it, as you theorize, Craig. Your husband was a writer?
6: Yes, a writer all through him. Foolish, wild, irresponsible, and wonderful, too. Is he dead?
2: Tell her, child. Yes, he's dead. Oh. According to Eric Trent's confession, your husband died of a tropical disease somewhere in the Pacific. Eric Trent was a drifter your late husband had taken up with. An odd thing, Craig. What odd thing? I offered you one of two cases the other day. Why well, bring that up now? You took one, but
3: you solved both. Uh, what? Cora Lane is the maiden name of Mrs. Stanley Talbot. Mrs. Cora Talbot.
2: Not the $20 a day in expenses deal I passed up. Yes. As it turned out, you found her missing husband. Hmm, a great lady, Trev, and all around loser. Her life hasn't been good. Her life needs fixing. Mrs. Talbot?
6: Yes, Mr. Craig.
2: We're taking a ride, you and me. Arrive? Cross town. You've been poor, but now you're rich. That book of your husband's The Cry of the Hyena, there's fifty thousand dollars coming to you, and I'm going to stand over Grayson while he makes out that check. Good night, folks. See you next week.
1: have been listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Tonight's story, The Paper Bullets, was written by John Robert. Next week, it's the strange story of Death and the Purple Cow, about which Barry Craig has this to say.
2: Next week, I lose a client before I get him. A man dies in a hamburger joint. And a purple cow turns out to be neither a cow nor purple. See you next week, folks.
1: Featured in the role of Judy was Barbara Weeks. Barry Craig, starring William Gargan, was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is Don Pardo speaking. Now enjoy Meredith Wilson's Music Room on NBC.
8: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, confidential investigator.
2: Murderers rarely have many friends. People can't keep up with them. You see, folks, they set such a killing pace.
1: The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator.
2: Harry Craig speaking. In my business, a guy doesn't have many friends. We know too much about people. The wrong kind of things and maybe the wrong kind of people. Or are there any different kinds? I wouldn't know the answer to that one. But after time enough and jobs enough, about the only thing the investigator can be sure is clean is his license. If he keeps it under glass. The hours are lousy, too. Hello, Willie. Evening, Mr. Craig. You want some coffee? In Willie's wagon? Lay off the cracks. It looks like coffee. It smells like coffee. And it tastes like sulfuric acid. I'll have a cup. Thanks. How about some nourishment? I'll have a couple of donuts instead. A couple? What do you think I am, a weightlifter? (laughs) Just watch your teeth working on them. Hey, uh, you on a job? No, no. Well, then, what's keeping you up this late? Your coffee, mostly. You didn't have any before you walked in here. I can dream, can't I? Besides... Yeah? I felt like company. Private eye gets tired of his own thoughts pretty quick. Why don't you quit thinking? I did half a dozen years ago. I've been a happy man since... uh, Business. What'll it be, bud?
3: Does it have to be anything?
2: I, uh... I've seen one of those before. Back up. Against the wall, huh? Sure. Hold it, Craig. The personal touch? Just sit there. Work on your donuts and coffee. I eat just as well without a gun. That's to keep you quiet, not stimulate your appetite. Thanks for explaining. Why do we have to be quiet? I want it that way. Uh Uh-huh. This keep Craig quiet
3: week? Yeah. I just passed the
2: resolution. In a little while, I'm going to get sleepy.
3: Don't let it bother you.
2: My point is, do I have to be quiet only in Willie's wagon, or can I go be quiet at home? Craig. Yeah? I tried for you at your office first. The elevator man told me you'd probably be here. Jake's a prophet. Anybody else comes calling for you, the elevator man will tell him the same thing. He'll make it sound like a procession visiting Craig at midnight. Business isn't that good. Not a procession. One customer. You could give him a name? Sure. Sure. And when he gets here, what happens? I discourage him about consulting you. You, uh, reason with him? I discourage him. Hey, Bud, how about me sitting down? You got a seat back at the counter? No, but there's one in the kitchen. Also a telephone? I ain't checked recently. Keep leaning against the wall. This customer of mine, i uh, suppose he looks in here before he pushes the door open. So? He'll spot you. That's all right. Hmm. Look, if I'm gonna stay awake I'll need more coffee. you yeah
1: Mr. Craig wants some more coffee.
2: okay and there's your coffee Mr. Craig Thanks Well it's an awful slow quiet I'm supposed to have. He'll be alone. Maybe you frighten him off tonight. What happens tomorrow? People run out of tomorrow sometimes. yeah. All right, uh, that could be him. Stay put, boys. I could use a client. Not this one.
3: It won't be any use at all. Too bad.
2: Hey, Willie, what'd you put in this cup? Huh? Tastes more like concentrated light than coffee. Shut up. It's an insult, not coffee. Here, you try it. Uh-oh. It was hot, wasn't it? I'll take the gun now. Go.
7: Uh-huh.
2: What the... Those shots came from the door. Yeah. Car took the corner on a couple of wheels. Couldn't spot the license. That guy's bleeding all over the floor. Yeah. Well, he'll stop in a little while, Willie. No more blood. Yeah? Yeah. His heart isn't pumping it anymore. (laughs) The coffee I'd spilled in his face caked before the cops got to Willie's. It made him look very untidy. The deceased's name was John Largo, Mr. Craig. Thanks for telling me, Lieutenant Rogers. It would appear he was an executive from St. Louis. You mean executioner. A little early for indulging in theory, Barry. Not theory. The guy announced his job. The announcement was perhaps ambiguous. Largo was versatile. The numbers, jewels, slot machine. Okay, Trav, I know about a police officer's keeping his mind open... Must be drafty, though. Barry. Yeah? According to your report, Largo intended to discourage a client of yours. That's right. Which client? A client who hadn't hired me yet. But who had indicated he might. Trav, all these questions will maybe look good on a report, but I've told you all I know. I'm not happy about it. Well, maybe if I'd gone to college like you, I'd know more. The way it is... You
3: mustn't hold
2: that college degree against me, Barry. I forgive you. Any psychiatrist will tell you it was my mother's fault. But I've got to bring something in for the captain. Isn't a fresh corpse enough? Trav let me go after a while. It had been a dull night. Willie's wagon was lousy with the press, and Trav had to concentrate on the department's public relations. I started for home, made a detour, and headed for the office on Madison Avenue. Jake would still be on duty, making sure nobody stole the building. Jake. Jake.
7: Uh, if any cow wants to get milk, she can come to me. I ain't going out in the middle of the night. Jake, you're not on the farm anymore. What? Well, oh. Oh, too bad. You
2: should have stayed up in Vermont.
7: No, I got tired of it. Why? Too close to New Hampshire. Mm. I've been
2: kind of expecting you. Yeah, I noticed your wide eyes. Jake, uh, a little over an hour ago, a small fair-haired man was here asking for me.
7: Yeah, I remember him. I told him you was out getting poisoned over at Willie's. He find you? He found me. What I'm more interested in is the
2: second person who asked for me tonight. I don't blame you. Why?
7: I said I don't blame you.
2: Must be your Vermont accent. Uh, Never mind blaming. Uh, That second person was a client. I know that. A client of mine, from the looks of things, committed murder a half hour ago.
7: Your office must be getting pretty crowded.
2: My office? Uh, Jake, didn't you tell my client where I was?
7: Client didn't ask. Preferred to wait in your office.
2: In my... Oh, that's what you meant about it getting crowded. Yeah. But the murder didn't take place in my office. Not the one I'm talking about, anyway.
7: That's nice. Makes less work for the cleaning women.
2: But in that case... Never mind. Take me upstairs.
7: Yep. Going up?
2: Where else would I be going?
7: I don't know. Uh Them's my instructions. Always ask the passenger which direction he's going.
2: Jake, uh, what kind of a man was he?
7: Who's that? The one up in my office. Well, up in Vermont, we wouldn't call him a man. You wouldn't? Well. What would you call him? A girl.
2: This wasn't my night for appearing smart. I stared at Jake with my mouth open until we reached the third floor. By that time, I managed to get it shut. Jake went back downstairs. I went down the hall to my office and went in discovered that we'd call her a girl in the York, too.
9: Mr. Craig?
2: Yeah? Sorry I kept you waiting.
9: Oh, that's all right. After all, you didn't know I was waiting for you, did you?
2: I guess I didn't.
9: Well, uh, I was.
2: Uh, you had an idea about hiring me?
9: Actually, it... it was my brother's idea. I see. Oh, that is, I'm... Sally Marlin, my brother is Donald Marlin. It figures. You... You're laughing at me? No. I, I wouldn't like you to, even... even though I'm not doing this very well.
2: Exactly what are you doing?
9: Oh, explaining. Donald's in trouble.
2: The world isn't doing too well either.
9: Are you trying to make me angry? Yeah. Why?
2: Maybe you'll get around to telling me why you're here.
9: My brother Donald has been in trouble ever since he came back. He thought perhaps he might hire a good private detective who would help him. And for some reason that I can't understand, he decided to hire you.
2: Thanks. Then why didn't he come here?
9: He... He was afraid to leave the house.
2: He sent you instead? Yes. What kind of trouble is he in? Well,
9: the... The kind of trouble where he might get murdered...
2: Usually a man in that kind of trouble goes to the cops.
9: Donald can Why he... not? Well, he... He doesn't want to get into the papers. Things like that.
2: He's shy? Mm-hmm. Good night, Miss Marlin.
0: Oh, what is... When
2: it comes to protection, a private eye can't come within a couple of light years of the cops. Nobody afraid of being killed was ever that shy.
0: Well,
9: I'm sorry. It's because of the purple cow.
2: The one nobody's ever seen? <laughs>
9: Oh, um, no. No, this one is a little statue of a cow made out of purple glass.
2: How much is it worth?
9: Well, it's kind of an antique,
2: and. Your brother has it, but neglected to get legal title to it?
9: Something like that. That's why he can't go to the police.
2: I'll have to see him.
9: Oh, of course. We live at 39 Barchester.
2: 39 Barchester?
9: Mm hmm. Uh, Donald gave me some money to. Uh, to. Well, I, I guess it's called a, a... a retainer? Uh-huh.
2: $200. We'll consider it a retainer.
9: I guess it's too late tonight for you to see Donald, but uh, the first thing in the morning, Mister Gray.
2: The first thing in the morning.
9: Then, good night.
2: Good night. Miss Marlin? Uh, yes? You said your brother had been in trouble ever since he came back.
9: Uh-huh.
2: Ever since he came back from where?
9: Why, St. Louis, Mr. Craig. St. Louis.
1: The
2: dead Mr. Largo had also been from St. Louis. I crossed to the door and opened it. Sally Marlin was waiting for the elevator. Jake would have his troubles waking up. The elevator would have its troubles climbing all the way up to the third floor... I used the back stairs. By the time Sally Marlin would make it to the lobby in the street, I ought to be ready for her. In my car, halfway down the block. I was. She used a cab. And we went right. It wasn't a long ride. Her cab slowed down and stopped. I stopped. She paid the cabbie off and went inside. The cab scrammed. I started up. I drove past the place she'd gone into and memorized the address. It was not thirty-nine Barchester. 39 Barchester was way over on the west side of town. Maybe Sally Marlin had stopped off at the other address for a drink. You can get drinks at the Club 44, not to mention a ringside seat at a roulette game, a hand at poker, or a a thug for hire. Maybe Sally Marlin had been thirsty. I didn't stop at 39. 39. The man in a creased hat and a bulging overcoat was trying too much to look like the local scenery. I cut around the block. And wondered there'd be an alley leading to the back of 39 Barchester. There was. There was a man there too, making like an ash can. I parked on the next block and took a walk. I was going to have trouble visiting my client. I decided to have trouble in the alley. More privacy than out front. Hey, Bud. Huh? Got a match? Sure. Thanks. Forget it. How's life among the ash cans? Huh? Kind of cold, isn't it? It ain't warm. You'll be glad to get back to the club.
4: No, I ain't kidding.
2: Well, what are you waiting for?
4: Cochran sent you.
2: What do you think?
4: Yeah, but he didn't say nothing about pulling me out of here. Hey, wait a minute. i seen you before.
2: Is that supposed to be a big surprise? i
4: seen you before. Your name's Craig.
2: Word gets around. You're
4: a dick, a private dick.
2: There's confidential investigator on my door. You don't need a gun. Keep your hand away from... Wise guy, you're... I... Not tonight, you... Who... He didn't. He fell down instead. I thought he might be uncomfortable lying on a gun... Oh, I disposed of it for him. I wondered if he'd thank me for it.
3: Who's there? Craig. Say it again.
2: Craig. You want me to wake the neighbors? Listen.
3: I'll open the door, sir want your hands in front of you and clean what I do. Okay. Otherwise, I start shooting. Hold it. Yeah. Come in. Thanks. I have to be careful. Sure. Sit down.
2: Thanks. man with a purple cow can't be too careful. What's a purple cow supposed to be? Something you find in St. Louis, the way I heard it. Just making sure Sally got to you. She got to me. She's a good kid. Uh Uh-huh. Marlon. Yeah? I could stand a little more information. For example, how did you get the purple cow in the first place? A friend of mine handed it to me. He ran an antique shop in St. Louis. Just gave it to you? Sure. The thing isn't worth more than a couple of bucks. And that's when all your trouble started. That's when it started. You could
3: have yelled for the cop. Sure, I could have. But look, first of all, there were no witnesses around when I got that cow. Second... I didn't know what importance it had, not until after I left St. Louis.
2: Why didn't you get in touch with the man who'd given you the cow? I tried to. And? Found out somebody had pumped him full of lead. This uh, friend of yours uh, had a record? Yeah, and that was another reason I wanted to stay clear of the police. He'd been a fence. What kind of stolen goods did he concentrate on? Jewels, mostly. Is that the cow up on the mantelpiece? That's the cow, all right. I know what you're wondering, but no dice. It's made out of grass. I had it appraised. Maybe it's hollow. It's hollow. Nothing in it either. You know a man named Largo? Largo? Small, fair-haired man. uh, Comes from St. Louis. No, I don't. Why? Oh, nothing important. You figuring on going out tonight? No. That's good. You'd have
3: company if you did. What kind of company? A couple of hoods. Front and rear of the house. Hoods? That's the kind of thing I mean. Why are they after me? On account of a hunk of worthless
2: glass? I don't know yet. Maybe I'll go ask some questions. Oh, these hoods, Marlon. Yeah? Work for a man named Cochran. Name mean anything to you?
3: Sure. that That's the man my sister's going to marry.
2: I used the front door. The mug in the alley might be resentful. I had no time to sue them. I had a headache. I wanted to go home and kill a couple of beers and sleep. Marlin was safe for the night. So was the cow. No reason why I shouldn't go home. Maybe that's why I didn't go home. Adairance, welcome to Club Forty Four. Oh, I'm not a customer. Cochran, huh? Mr. Cochran? All right, let's be formal. Mr. Cochran. Mr. Cochran's not in, sir. Okay. Take me to where he isn't in. <laughs> uh, Harder. Listen, you. No, I'm too tired. Stop, Crowd. You're all alone compared to what I could do to. Tough? Big. You could be cut down. Let Cochran try it. Come on. Uh, okay, you take your hands off me. Just a sample. Let's go. Cochran isn't going to like this. Maybe I won't like Mr. Cochran. Yes. The gentleman to see you, Mr. Cochrane. Chief, thanks. Yes. Mr.
9: Craig. Craig.
2: Hello, Miss Marlin. Hello, Cochran. I couldn't start nothing out in a club, Mr. Cochrane. Don't be silly, sir. Mr. Craig is always welcome. Run along, huh? Yes.
9: What are you doing here, Mr. Craig?
2: I confused it with 39 Barchester, maybe. The same way you did. Nice to meet you, Mr. Craig. Uh-huh. Of course, I'm curious about why. Sally Marlin hired me for her brother. She was worried about him, so she left my office and promptly headed here. She, uh, didn't want to worry alone. Exactly what I was thinking. So I went on to 39 Barchester. Oh. The man watching the alley may have a little trouble with solid food for a while. I see. Marlin and I had a nice visit. and you know about... Sally and myself. Sure. I also know you put those men on Marlon. Well, to protect him. Then why do you want me?
9: I-, I didn't know that Mr. Cochran would be able to help my brother.
2: You did say help? Uh, we've uh, had a lovely conversation. I think it's over now. I think it isn't. You must have a reason. I was hired to do something about the trouble Marlin's in. And you're doing it here? Let's say I'm trying to. I hardly appreciate your sweaty efforts. But you're the one who's sweating. You know a man named Largo Cochrane. Yes, I... Never mind. He's dead. What? Wonderful thing. The radio. Uh-huh. Largo made a nice haul in St. Louis. Jewels. He turned them over to a fence who ran an antique store. How interesting. It gets better as we go along. The fence then turned around and handed Marlin a purple cow. Marlin left town. Largo left town right after him. To wind up dead on the floor of a hamburger joint. What a distressing place to die. I don't think Largo was bothered about the decor. He killed the antique boy when he found out his jewels were gone. He was there for after Marlin, presumably? Presumably. In that case... I was in the hamburger joint when Largo was killed. If you will eat such dreadful stuff. You knew, Largo. You knew all about Marlin and the purple cow through Sally here. You have a couple of boys sitting on Marlin's tail. Mr. Cochran, how much of a chance do you think you'd have in front of a jury? Well, you agree with me. Not much of a chance. Phil, that guy! Shut up.
5: What Mr. Craig has forgotten is that he's the only one outside of ourselves who knows all these things. So? I have no intention of being brought before a jury. There's a
2: pretty well-known road paved with intentions, Cochran. I'm not traveling as yet, Craig, but I
5: rather think you are. Keep your hands still, Sally. See if he has a gun. Bill, I don't. See if he has a gun.
9: All right. He he had a gun, Bill. Throw it here. All right.
5: Sally. Yes. Run along home.
9: Bill, I won't let you. Don't be a
5: fool. You can put me in the chair. But I Sally, I told you. I
9: can't
0: let You're you in do it. You're in my way, you idiot. Oh.
5: Craig, killing the lights won't oh. help you. Oh. You've no gun, Craig.
0: Oh. Be still.
7: I can't hear. Oh. Oh. My arm. I don't
2: twist arms for fun. Grab it. Grab oh. it. All right. Thanks. The lights, Sally. Yeah. I'll put my... The thing you do in the dark is keep quiet, Cochran, then nobody knows where
4: you are. I'll know better next time.
2: Sure, if there is a next time. Speak up, Cochran. I'll feed you the answers if it's your boys. Who? Who's there? Lieutenant
3: Rogers,
2: homicide. What do you know? Come in, Trav. Well, oh, Lieutenant Rogers and... Hello, Marlon. Hello. Donald. I decided to yell for help to the cops.
4: About time, too. After you left me, Craig, I began to worry. About those men watching the house, keeping me tied up, waiting, waiting. Now, take it easy. I'm all right. i worried about you, too. I knew you were coming here. Thanks. And about Sally. I didn't want her to
2: to commit herself. This is ridiculous. What is, Cochran? The insinuation that I, that I killed Largo. That why Craig was holding a gun on you? He, he thought he was mistaken. Barry? He might have killed me, Trav. A very solid vote of confidence. One thing bothers me. A modest man. That's because I never uh, went... Barry, to... Barry, Barry. Okay, I'll save it. The thing that bothers me is, how did Largo find out Marlin was going to hire me? Seems like a fair question. Would anyone here like to answer it? Maybe we could throw a couple of possibilities out. Marlin wouldn't have told Largo for a lot of reasons. Among them, the fact that Largo was gunning for him. Marlin therefore, didn't. Would Sally? Well,
9: I never even knew this. This Largo.
2: Reasonable reply. You're accepting it, Barry? Uh Uh-huh. That leaves us... Now, wait.
3: Perhaps... Perhaps I did tell Largo something about it. You found out through Sally? That's true.
9: Oh, Bill.
3: I'm sorry, darling, but... You see, I've known Largo for a long time. When Largo told me he was after your brother, I thought perhaps I... I might discourage him. It's an explanation.
2: You like it, Barry? Not much, Cochran told Lago because he hoped Lago would kill Marlon. Oh, no. Only reason that means anything. Then Cochran might inherit the purple cow. But the purple cow is worthless. Oh,
3: that can wait till
2: later. Sally, you told your brother that you'd mentioned the business of hiring me to Cochran.
3: Well, I guess so. I, I, I demand a lawyer. You'll get one and a jury.
2: You know something, Tram? Something like one. Cochran was right when he said it was ridiculous. When he said what was ridiculous? That he... Kill Largo. Oh? Because he didn't. Well, this is a fine time to tell me. Who did? The person who understood my last question to Sally. The person who's making a beeline for the desk. Gun on it.
0: Oh.
9: You mean you mean it was, sure. it was...
2: your brother, Mr. Donald Marlin. Mr. Marlin was very silent after that. It didn't take long to book him. Cochran didn't bother going along for the ride, but Sally did. That's sad. Sorry, Miss Marlin.
9: Well, I've always known Donald wasn't... wasn't very...
2: Uh, uh, Barry. Yeah? Before the D.A. embarrasses me, suppose you tell me why I've locked him up? Sure. He was the only possibility who didn't know Largo. I refuse to stand here and feed you questions... Use the narrative form. <laughs> Won't we'll take a minute. Largo, back at the hamburger joint, when he was waiting for my client to show up, said he wasn't worried about being spotted before he could kill him. That meant my client didn't know Largo. It was Marlin's idea all along to kill Largo and implicate Cochran for the killing. But for a purple cow, you've got Marlin's keys. One of them must be for a safe deposit box. The boys are already checking Nice work, Trav. Now, once you pointed a finger at Marlin, I realized that he was the only source for the purple cow fantasy. Actually, the antique store
3: fence in St. Louis must have slipped the jewels to Marlin in an effort to defraud Largo. So Marlin invented the purple cow as uh, uh, a red herring.
2: We're getting our colors mixed, but uh, that had to be the idea. Yes. Good night, Mr. Craig. Good night, Miss Marlin. I, uh, can't think of a last line.
9: Well, I can't either, but... Oh, you've been sweet, Mr. Craig. You never suspected me. Does there have to be a last line?
2: Oh, uh-uh. huh? No. Good night, folks. See you next week.
1: You have been listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from The Adventures of Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. Tonight's story, Death and the Purple Cow, was written by Lou Vittis. Next week, it's a strange story titled Ghost of a Chance, about which Barry Craig has this to say.
2: In next week's story, a man comes back from the dead the a wife who's been dead almost as long as he has, in an insurance scheme that almost, but not quite, cancels out yours truly. See you next week, folks.
1: Featured in the role of Sally was Arlene Blackburn, Barry Craig, starring William Gargan was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is Don Pardo speaking. Now enjoy Meredith Wilson's Music Room on NBC.
0: That wraps it up for tonight's show at 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. We really enjoy good reviews, so when you have a chance, say something nice about a selection of shows, or maybe suggest some to us.